0: Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hey, everybody, it's Jody Katz, your host of Where Brains Meet Beauty podcast. Welcome back to the show. This week's episode features Alex Loristani. He's the CEO and co founder of GelTour. And if you missed last week's episode, it featured Alyssa Sasso. She's the manager of the Environmental Defense Fund. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. I'm excited to be here with Alex Loristani. He's the co-founder of Geltor. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty.
1: Hey, Jody, <laughs> Really excited to be here.
0: Nice to see you, Alex. So um, I'm excited to talk with you. But before we get into my favorite question, I want to know about what percentage of the time do people say Geltor and not Geltor? <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a toss up. <laughs> um, you know, the uh, the the correct way or the the way that we intended intended for it to be pronounced was gel tour, right? Like like a gel, um, and uh, you know, we can get into a little bit more of why that makes sense later. But um, yeah, it, it seems to be a, a, a toss up.
0: Well. Um... I'm excited to learn more about the gel side of gel tour. But before we get started, um, I love this question, especially during COVID, because I think we're all kind of getting to know ourselves a little bit more again. Um, now that we work from home. So, uh, when someone would have asked your like 12 year old self, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer?
1: Yeah. Well, I was, I don't know, maybe I was like a, a little bit of an unusual 12 year old, but something that I've been very excited about from a young age was, uh, One day running a hospital where no one got sick there. (laughs) You know, I thought it was really weird um, that people would go to the hospital and get sicker um, from something that happened to them there. And that's what, you know, eventually led me on this path to going to medical school, graduate school, and and eventually to uh, starting Jeltor with my co-founder Nick
0: So, Alex, you told me that um, there was a situation when you were a kid with um, one of your parents' friends dying yeah. of AIDS. Um, yeah. Was that sort of what put you in this mindset of, like, why is this person getting sicker and not healthier?
1: Yeah, that was that was one of them, right? Like, so my my mom's best friend died um, of uh, of yeah, AIDS uh, in the early 90s when I was growing up, and that made a huge impression on me. You know, I remember uh, how much she loved him and sort of how many – it, important things in our home were, were from him and just, uh, you know, made, made a real sort of emotional impact on me. But, you know, more broadly, like growing up in, in the early 90s, like, you know, the, the kind of prominence of, you know, Magic Johnson and uh, just the sort of general <laughs> uh, gestalt of, um, you know, uncertainty and, uh, and, and some fear around uh, infectious diseases was something that made an impression on me even as a really young kid. Um, So yeah, that played a big part in in this interest that I had. And it it just continued to develop over the years.
0: So very infrequently, does somebody tell me what they want to do when they grow up actually ends up being something that they are doing when they grow up? So you did pursue medicine, right?
1: I did. Yeah. Yeah. I wound up, um, uh, so I studied biology in college and then afterwards wound up uh, applying to MD, PhD programs. So these are, these are really, you know, kind of training programs that are designed for folks that want to, you know, primarily use research as a way to improve human health um, and and focus on sort of human biology uh, in general.
0: So um, let's talk about what you studied there. You told me this story and I I really wanted to unravel and understand it. And I, you know, I I don't have a medical degree, but um, learning about how antibiotics are used on farms. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about this research that you did and how it impacted you?
1: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, this is this important because it sort of uh, draws a direct line between, you know, the work that I was thinking about as, as a graduate student, medical student, what we do today here at Jeltor. So, you know, in in the lab as, uh, as a PhD student, what I was thinking about all day was, you know, how do the bacteria that make people sick in hospitals when they're there uh, work? <laughs> what are the things that make them tick from a molecular perspective? Um, and you know what, what I was learning as I took a step back and started to work on my thesis and looked at some of the more like systemic drivers of this, not the molecular ones, but sort of the things happening in our world that make this uh, make this thing go, was how connected the way that we make protein, the way that we make food, <laughs> the way that we make ingredients is connected to this challenge of antibiotic resistance. And the first kind of, you know, real eye-opening statistic that um, I encountered was that 70-80% of the antibiotics that uh, we make for humans to be treated and, and get better actually get deployed on farms to make animals better protein factories, essentially. And uh, that made me stop, <laughs> you know, in, in my tracks almost, right? It was, um, uh, it was shocking. And, you know, within that, being able to kind of through uh, epidemiological research and, and some other work, you know, done by others is Trace back from that, you know, uh, kind of ecological problem happening on farms back into communities, right? Seeing these bacteria that were becoming resistant to antibiotics in the communities and ultimately back in hospitals. So that was uh that was a really interesting kind of uh driver in all of this that you know, when, when you think about it, it is really hard to attack with, with anything but a global platform. It's a global problem. So that was, uh, that was quite interesting to us.
0: And um, in our history of uh, manufacturing or growing food um, with animals, what's changed like versus, I don't know, like 40 years ago or 50 years ago, yeah. why, why are these conversations happening now?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think that it's a great question and they are sort of, there's sort of two questions in there. One is, you know, why is this conversation happening now? And, you know, the other one is like, you know, what's sort of changed over time? So I think the the big driver for why this conversation is happening now is that um, we're running out of antibiotics to use, <laughs> right? You know, we we sort of, uh, um, in, in the early part of the 20th century uh, – were able to unlock, right? Discovery of antibiotics, production of them at large scale. It was this like, you know, literal miracle drug, right? Um, and uh, they were overused, used uh, in sort of inappropriate context sometimes. And that's created this environment where, you know, clinicians have really limited options uh, when when uh, looking at treating many infections. You know, there, there are some infections where, We have, you know, one shot left, right? So I think that's why we're having the conversation today. It's options are extremely limited, um, sometimes like critically limited. And everything that we do, you know, in the clinical setting, whether you're getting a hip replacement (laughs) or, um, you know, uh, an elective surgery, um, you know, you need antibiotics to make these things work, to make them safe. And um, uh, that's, that's in jeopardy right now.
0: All right. So um, let's talk about you. Um, you, know, you have um, a co-founder in this business. Yep. How did you guys meet?
1: Yeah, we met. We met in the lab. <laughs> we were both uh, graduate students together at, um, at Princeton working on our PhDs in the same place. And it was a really exciting place to uh, go and do science and, and meet other really cool scientists. So back in 2012, Nick and I were uh, you know, just kind of early in our uh, training for, uh, for our PhDs, and that's how we first connected
0: and um when you first met was um was this was this conversation around building a business around your science even um something you were thinking about at that time
1: yeah well you know i think it so it was something that we are thinking about independently right i think that um w- which is i think a part of what drew us together you know in uh, a a lot of like traditional you know, phds has been focused on uh training scholars, right, training folks that would go and, and be fellows and then uh, professors and, and so on. And, you know, what I think we were both excited about was being able to, you know, use science to impact human health sort of outside of um, uh, the academic sphere. And, you know, for me, the big part of that was, you know, thinking about human health through the lens of medicine and sort of pursuing that. But, you know, Nick, Nick is a, a really... I th- one of the most amazing sort of bio tinkerers <laughs> and bio designers that you know I've, I've ever met in my life, and um, that was that was what made it so fun to work with him as a graduate student. You know, solving different problems, solving different challenges. He's kind of the person that people went to when they had something really tricky <laughs> that they needed needed help solving. So you know, I think that an interest um, outside of uh, outside of the academic sphere was one thing that you know certainly brought us together.
0: So, um, you know, in reading about your company, you recently raised um, $90 million to um, fuel the growth of the business. Um, what, if it happened at this moment, maybe there are other times, what are those moments where you look at Nick and you guys are like, oh my God, is this happening? <laughs> like, is this real? <laughs> um, like, was that like, was it like, oh yeah, $90 million, big whoop? Or was it like, oh my God, this is a big deal?
1: Oh yeah, it's it's a huge deal. And, and you know, we feel, um, you know, we we sort of have to pinch ourselves every day, right? To a certain extent, like, you know, the, um, uh, the opportunity to work with the people that we get to work with every single day is like, you know, it, incredibly exciting, humbling, just so amazing, you know? Um, we're, both, uh, we're both people who love to learn <laughs> and, and being able to just learn from these amazing folks and lead them is, uh, is, is such a, you know, special opportunity. Um, so yeah, we, we feel lucky every single day.
0: I interviewed um, someone who runs a fragrance company and she got a huge investment. And I'm like, wasn't that like a crazy moment? She's like, no, I expected it. And I'm like, <laughs> "Like, I feel like I would just be like ringing the bell, dancing around, yeah. um, calling everyone I know. So everyone handles this stuff differently. So I'm always so curious about, um, you know, how that human side of us shows through when we're totally. seeing the, like the success that we always dream of.
1: Yeah, you know, there is the... Kind of analytical side of us, right? Where we say, "Okay, right? Like we're we're working to build the company that all the consumer brands in the world call when they need protein, right?" And you can, you know, do the analysis on how much capital you'll need in order to get there, right? In in a kind of short period of time. Um, but you know, if you sort of put the uh, numerical side of that aside, <laughs> there's there is that other um, kind of component of just, you know, being a human, right? And sort of saying, yeah, okay, even if that's what the data are telling you, um, there is a, uh, there, there's absolutely a sort of emotional component to that. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what you feel every day, right? You go look at the numbers every, you know, every month, every quarter. <laughs> um, but you know, the, the joy is sort of baked into every single day.
0: So, Alex, what is the gel of Geltor? What does the gel mean?
1: <laughs> the, the gel, yeah. So when, um, uh, when we were getting started, right, the, the, the goal was to build the protein partner of choice. And the first protein that we were really focused on um, was and, and is collagen, and uh, collagen is used in a lot of different places. One of those places in uh, gelatin products and collagen-conformed gels itself. So that was sort of the inspiration for having gel in the name. I think it also just sounds cool, you know?
0: <laughs> so you started as um, like the replacement for like the, I guess, the bone marrow gelatin that we grew up with?
1: Well, that, that was a, uh, and is, you know, an important part of, what we see as the kind of opportunity in protein, um, but to get started, what we really wanted to uh, make was something that um, uh, something a little different from that, right? So making these special collagen proteins that we could um, help folks in the skincare industry initially just make products that weren't possible in um, in any other way, right? So kind of in the in the long run, being able to uh, replace Um, These ingredients that we've traditionally taken from animal bones and skin is uh, important and and exciting. But being able to start by really like teaching uh, customers in the market that you can actually make things that are better, (laughs) that are really impossible to get without, um, you know, using approaches like this is is what has really motivated us from the start.
0: So does the collagen that you're creating, is it derived from a plant cell? Like where, where does it start?
1: So the collagen that we're making, you know, so this is, this is super cool because, you know, we can make a human collagen, just the collagen that's, you know, found inside of you, me, every human that's out there without ever having to, you know, (laughs) get anything from a person, right? The only thing that we need is uh, protein sequences, right? So all of our proteins are made of these uh, strings of, of amino acids and we have, you know, uh, libraries that have information about these different protein sequences inside of them. And when you go through it, you can actually say, or ask, I should, I should um, phrase it as, you can ask, what is the best collagen for this particular kind of product, right? And then go and find it (laughs) and take that sequence information and build a fermentation process that requires zero, zero animal inputs and make it. Um, So, you don't have to, you don't you just need the information, which is kind of a, a a revolutionary concept. Um you don't, you know, if you wanted to make a a fish collagen, you never have to meet the fish. If you want to make a person collagen, you never have to meet the person. Um you just need you just need the data.
0: So you're you're saying I don't need a human cell to make a human collagen sequence.
1: Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. That <laughs> which is So this is like amazing.
0: avoids the whole like stem cell and all, all that. That's, that's not what this is.
1: Yeah. So what this is um, is using the same, you know, general kind of fermentation processes that we've used for uh, decades to make things like enzymes, um, uh, things like insulin uh, for medicine, and really focusing on developing this to serve the consumer products industry. Right. That's that's been sort of one of the big uh, challenges, I think, um, in uh, in industry, being able to take what biology has been able to do in the world of the life sciences and in certain sort of industrial niches, and then bring that to, you know, the, the very big world of consumer products.
0: So we um, talked about the consequences of using um, f- animals to create, like whether it's food or, you know, um, products for ingredients for cosmetics or whatnot. Um, is there a downside to the sequencing that you're doing, like, is there a ecological impact or like, you know, what kind of impact, is it impact zero? Like, I'm trying to understand, like, you know, I know that we can watch tons of movies about the impact of animals and like how we eat animals and um, manufacture animals, but what's the impact on, in this process?
1: Yeah. So, you know, the, the impact on the environment is one of the things that, you know, really drew us to being able to use this kind of technology when you go in and do what's called a a life cycle analysis to measure what is the kind of requirement from a a land perspective, right? How much land do you need in order to produce these products? How much water do you need to produce these products? How much greenhouse gases and greenhouse gas equivalents are um, produced in the production of, of these proteins? And then you compare it to what it takes to get a similar protein from an animal. It's it's extremely favorable. <laughs> so you know from that perspective, it is um, it is highly advantageous today, and only getting better. I think that the biggest challenge right now, you know, this is these are really new products, right? We we launched our our first ingredient in 2019. So I think the biggest challenge, you know, for um, for the market is. Um, uh, you know, their their premium positioning, (laughs) right? So, you know, because we're so early in the development of of products of scale, you know, we can really only access a a certain segment of consumer products today. We're working really hard to rapidly change that, right? This year, we're gonna be launching our first product in the food and beverage um, uh, sector. And going to a completely different level of scale for this produ- for this production, super excited about that. So the team is making amazing strides to be able to essentially bring this technology to a wider um, uh, a wider audience, wh- which you know, I think is the biggest challenge today.
0: Right. So, are there products in the market that have gel tour collagen in it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, it's it's amazing to like think about this, but there are like. Tens of millions of uh, units <laughs> of consumer products, you know, around the world um, that have been sold, powered by Jeltor proteins um, from Asia to North America to, to Europe now. So, you know, we have really quickly seen you know, the, the demand from the industry, um, first in, you know, cosmetics and personal care and now entering food and nutrition, um, translate into like real products in the world that are, that are doing phenomenally well.
0: And, um, on the beauty end of it, are, are you able to run clinicals on your ingredients to get beauty brands, the claims that they need to be able to sell well in this market?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And the short answer is yes, right? And I think that's one of the kind of most important things that we actually do. Um, when we've gone out and looked at the sort of literature <laughs> and the existing uh, data around, you know, different proteins that you know, our, our customers use, there's not a lot out there, right? So, you know, what we want to be able to do is uh, help our customers understand, you know, how much of the product to use, how many times a day to use it, um, you know, what are the conditions where it can be the most effective. Um, and, you know, we, we do that through th- through data um, that's generated through studies, um, I- including clinical studies. So, uh, so yeah, uh, we've been able to, actually one of, one of my favorite ones <laughs> is when we actually had a, a head-to-head of uh, a formulation, you know, same exact formulation, either powered by Geltor collagen or by marine collagen. Um, and we were able to show conclusively that you do a better job with the Geltor collagen across a couple of parameters. So that was one of the first, like, really early data points that we were able to, um, you know, rally around.
0: And um, do brands plan on like marketing that they? Have gelled toward collagen in their products, you know is that yeah. something that any of the brands are using as a selling point because you know the customer shops by her values now, right? So yeah. the fact that it's not animal derived and that it's you know saving x, y and z from an environmental impact is really exciting to the customer. Um, have you had any conversations like that with brands?
1: yeah, yeah it, it, and that's been uh, really cool to see <laughs> so uh, we have customers today that are actively um, advertising and marketing Geltor and or the branded ingredients of Gel tour uh, alongside their products, right? And we have more that are going to be coming out this year. So, you know, what what we've been hearing from our customers is, you know, one, it's it's really, um, it's a mark of innovation <laughs> and, uh, and performance, you know, first and foremost. I think that, you know, in the beauty industry in particular, Sustainability and uh, you know, kind of ethical products are more and more just becoming table stakes, and you know the the emphasis really is on the products have to work, <laughs> and and this is you know one way that you know the brands have really looked to differentiate, it, saying, hey, look, this is um, the, the the protein innovation company, and uh, and this this product is proudly powered by it, which is um, incredibly exciting.
0: That's so cool. Are you allowed to say the names of the companies that use your ingredients?
1: Um, so we have, there's, there's one that I, I know that I can share because it's, uh, it's out, you know, in, in the, in the public domain. So um, there is a, uh, the, there's a, a really cool brand, um, part of the Unilever portfolio in, uh, that's based in Korea called AHC, it's very clinically focused. And they, you uh, within the past few years, you know, put out a, a great story about how, um, you know, one of their products, which owns, you know, most of the, the segment, um, where they're, where they're operating is powered by a, a couple of gel ingredients. So, um, that's, uh, that's the AHC product line in Korea, which is now, um, you know, a, a global brand, which, which we just, which we just love.
0: I'm excited for it, this and beauty, but I'm really excited to see how this rolls out into um, food and beverage because um, I, you know, there's just more people eating and drinking than using expensive face creams, right? So I'm really excited to see what that kind of growth looks like for you guys. Um, so, Alex, our last topic is going to be on leadership style. You know, you seem like a really um, Nice guy, you know, and I've met a lot of people in this business, and some of them, man, many of them are really nice, but some of them are, you know, a little seem very ego driven or, you know, um, self serving. Um, so you don't come across that way to me. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, your leadership style in the organization, especially as you scale, it sounds like you're growing rapidly. Yeah.
1: You know, it's a it's a great question, <laughs> and I think that the uh, the first sort of uh, reflection that I have is that you know it's had to change over time. Um, when when Nick and I started uh, six years ago or so, um, what. I think the company needed from me as a leader was very different than, you know, what the company needs from me as a leader today, where we have, you know, 70, 80 people um, uh, operating in, you know, a very unusual environment (laughs) Um, in in these, you know, as we're recording this, this is still sort of, you know, COVID times, right? So um, I think that one of the biggest learnings has been, you know, you sort of need to think about what the company needs from you um, and always anchor that against, you know, what you're great at and what you love. But, you know, fundamentally being really comfortable <laughs> with, uh, you know, making yourself uncomfortable and uh, and changing what you do. So I think that's that's the biggest reflection that I have on that. It's just, you know, I think leadership styles evolve over time. And, you know, certainly certainly my own has as well. Um, I, I think that the biggest sort of, um, you know, takeaways uh, – for me have been uh, and, and learnings have been, you know, to not be afraid to ask people for more, right? And, and actually, you know, to view that as an opportunity to let people know that you believe in them, <laughs> that you believe, I believe that you can do something here that is better than what this is right now. <laughs> and that's why you're here. Um, uh, and, and I found, you know, the best people um, on our team and elsewhere respond really positively to that. Um, so, you know, I think that's been one of the biggest learnings of the pastor and you can do that and be really nice. Right. Um, uh, you don't you don't need to be uh, an egotistical jerk uh, to convey that message. I actually think we've got way too much done. We have, we have way too much to do <laughs> to uh, we have way too much to do for ego to get in the way um, in, in those sorts of interactions. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I think that biggest learning for me has been that leadership styles need to evolve um, sometimes rapidly as you grow.
0: And um, for yourself, you know, during this quarantine period and um, the accelerated growth of your business, um, how has that impacted, like, the way you try to seek out balance in your life, you know, beyond Jeltor? Or is there even time? Be- is there time left over beyond Tour? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, I, I, I feel I'm so, like, lucky. I love thinking about Tour. Like, I I sometimes I have to like force myself to stop, right? I think that's a challenge for, for myself, my co-founder and some other people at the company. It's like, we actually have to force ourselves to stop because it is, um, it's just like, you know, so much fun. And this is what we're excited about doing for the rest of our lives, right? And, um, uh, at the same time you have to recognize that every once in a while you need to unplug. <laughs> All right. Every once in a while you need to unplug. So I, I think that there are some useful ways of actually, you know, forcing yourself to do that. Um, uh, and, you know, a, a, that's sort of, sort of how I think of balance, right? It's like making sure that you're creating spaces. I, I love walking my dog, right? <laughs> I love walking my dog, leaving my cell phone um, at home when I'm, when I'm walking her and, um, and uh, you know, just kind of taking that time to, you know, not think about things intentionally, um, but still, right? That's usually when you get some of the most interesting ideas about what you want to do when you get back, right? So, you know, I think that um, I, I have I I have such a hard time answering this question <laughs> always because, and I get asked it a lot, right? Um, uh, but that's how I feel.
0: <laughs> well, Alex, I'm you know I. Um I feel the same way. Like, you know, my work is most of the time really fun yeah. and um, I love working with my team and sometimes I wish there were more hours in the day. But, um, you know, I do think people need that kind of support of like, how do I make myself shut it off? Yeah. Well, how do I make myself walk away? Because I do believe that the creativity happens when you're not sitting at your desk answering emails right or on calls. So um, do you have a tip? Like, how do you like force yourself to get away from your desk, away from your phone?
1: Um, I think it's not really a tip. Like, this is, I I think that this is just kind of a common sense thing that I've started to do is actually just like, you know, leave your phone, you know, and go and do the thing, whatever it is. If it's, you know, like working out, walking your dog, painting, um, you know, reading, whatever it is, just like actually go and do that thing. Um, Just like actually when I'm, you know, working, like I put my cell phone, you know. In the other room, so that (laughs) so that I can go and you know focus on you know the call or the the work or the whatever, Um, you know I think that you know being able to uh, that's you know my own working style right I I just I, I just like to hone in on one thing at a time.
0: Well, Alex, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with our listeners today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Hey, thanks so much. This has been a blast.
0: And for our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this interview with Alex. Please subscribe to our series on iTunes and for updates about the show, follow us on Instagram at where Brains Meet Beauty Podcast. Thanks for listening to where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.